0: Hello, it's Dawn. And this is my podcast, Dawnversations. It's a variety show about real life stuff. And there's something on here for everybody. So if that sounds good to you, let's go. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Dawn. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I was just laughing to myself thinking about how I, you know, I'm under the weather, whatever I have a cold or, and I went in to the doctor's office to get checked out. And, you know, they ask you all the questions and she had asked me if I was experiencing any fever and it was like, how do you even know when you're menopausal, (laughs) if you're having fevers or not like legitimately, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I've broken a fever. I don't know if it was just a hot flash. Ah,
1: yeah, those uh, <laughs> hormones, man, they don't, they don't stop when you're under the weather. No,
0: they don't. Okay, so thank you for being on the show. I am so happy to have you here. Oh, glad okay. to be here. So I couldn't, I was torn if I wanted to talk about hot flashes or weight gain. So I'm gonna let you just roll with it, whatever you want to talk about. But why, why is it that there's not that much information out there for us people that are in paramenopause or regular menopause?
1: why isn't there information? Oh, you're not going to like my answer, Don. <laughs> I really see it as two things. One is it's not happening to men. Mm. And two, they haven't figured out all the ways to make money yet, but they are. And so I will say that I think there is more conversation happening there than there used to be. What I get crazed about is when I talk to them and they're like, oh, I got an ad on Instagram for this supplement or, you know, I saw information about this hormone therapy. So again, we're being fed the lie that a pill is the answer. Are you experiencing menopause right now? Have you been through it or? So I'm in perimenopause. Um, So one of the things that I teach women is what the different phases of this process are, because just like puberty doesn't happen instantaneously. Menopause is not reached instantaneously. It is a process. There are phases that actually have names. And so my, I am in early perimenopause.
0: Okay. And um, do you have, do you have all your
1: parts? <laughs> <laughs> have you had- <laughs> I I, I do not. I have not experienced a hysterectomy or okay. an ovectomy or anything like that. Um, okay. So I do have all my parts. What about you? Well,
0: no, I, isn't that random over coffee? Do you have all your parts? That's um, a good question. Yeah, no, I had a hysterectomy, but I still have my ovaries. Okay. So they said that if they had, if I heard them correctly, I was on drugs when they took it all out. But they said, when you, um, if they take the ovaries and you go into kind of immediate menopause, and mm-hmm. if they leave them, them, then you would go through it more naturally at the mm-hmm. time that you normally would. Well, my mom had had a hysterectomy. And so did my sister? So I didn't really have a way of knowing like mm-hmm. what age is this supposed to go down? Mm-hmm. But you know, when you start having the symptoms and stuff you kind of put two and two together, but yeah. So how, how many, how many stages?
1: Are there? <laughs> so um, there's kind of five or six um, and You know, what's not important necessarily is naming them, but really being able to identify, okay, is my period still consistent or not? Um, Am I symptomatic or not? Just because you're not experiencing active symptoms doesn't mean you're not in perimenopause. It might just mean that you're starting it and things are going well so far, Mm -hmm. right? My clients are not people for whom things are going well. Okay. Um, So it is possible to go through perimenopause and reach your menopause transition, without having symptoms, Um, but that doesn't mean you're not going through it. (laughs) Okay, if that makes
0: sense. Well, yeah. And hormones are wacky like that. Like everybody's mm-hmm. um, version of uh, e- having a baby is different mm-hmm. for each baby. You know, you could have yeah. 10 kids and every pregnancy would be different. And, you know, I, every kid deals with puberty differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm assuming that that's why going through menopause would be the same thing. Just all different stages.
1: And it's are- not just that it's different woman to woman, but for each individual woman, it's different month to month. <laughs>
0: Oh, because wow. the
1: hormones are not the same month, month, we have our normal hormone fluctuation that, you know, when we're in our fertile years is causing the ovulation. Um, and if the if there's no implantation, then you know, we have our bleed week. Um, but in, you know, one month, you might have lower progesterone causing you not to ovulate, but you still have a bleed. The next month, you could ovulate and also have a bleed um and who knows what your estrogen is doing those two months it could be the exact same or it could be on different sides of the spectrum causing a variety of symptoms and that's what can be so frustrating for women is they think one month like okay i've got this figured out and the next Mm -hmm. month they're like i did the exactly same thing and why am i feeling this way now right
0: so when you said that pills aren't out there to make things better what how do you deal
1: with it then what are you supposed to do So let me comment on that first. I like to tell people I'm not opposed to using supplements or bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, BHRT, but I I am opposed to using them first. Um, now, if a woman is really suffering and um, particularly bioidentical progesterone might alleviate her suffering short term, and she's willing to try some of the things I teach, which are focused on food, movement, and lifestyle habit changes, then I'm open to that. I cannot prescribe, but I have scribers that I recommend for people. Um, so I do I do want to give that caveat. Um I think because of my training as a board certified health coach, you, we learned pretty early on the importance of bioindividuality and giving clients options to play with so that they can figure out what's best for them. Um, I come from a, a school of teaching where it's very client-centered, like my clients are in the driver's seat and I'm just next to them saying, well, up here is a fork in the road. If you go right, this is where you'll end up. If you go left, this is where you'll end up. Mm -hmm. But the final destination, which is, you know, symptom management and root cause healing is the same. So what do you think is going to be best? And sometimes they choose right for a little while. And they're like, you know, what, I want to go back to that fork and try the left, because I'm not so sure that I picked right the first time. Mm -hmm. So there is a trial and error approach to it. However, there are certain things that seem to work across the board in those three categories, the food movement and lifestyle pieces. Okay, so why is it that most women that I know of,
0: um, myself included, put on weight during menopause? I mean, is it all about the estrogen or what is causing that?
1: So it's actually all about the insulin.
0: (laughs) Oh, And if you're
1: not diabetic, you probably don't even think about your insulin, but it is uh, one of the master hormones. It really has an impact on all the others. Um, Weight gain is the most common symptom that my clients have. Um, it usually comes in around the hips, waist, and butt, and can change our clothing size, certainly can change the number on the scale, and can really impact our self-image and how we feel. Um, so why does it happen? As we age, we naturally become more insulin resistant. That's just fancy speak for our, the insulin doesn't get into our cells as easily, Mm-hmm. So that's kind of naturally happening. On top of that, we have the standard American diet, which also makes us more insulin resistant. So we, during um, our, you know, is really from 35 on, um, but the sooner the better, we really need to adopt practices that make us more insulin sensitive. We want to keep our bodies as insulin sensitive as possible. Okay. Go on. Okay, so (laughs) I like to pause because I don't want to like talk on and on. And if you have like a burning question, I want to make sure that you have a chance to to ask it. No, no, you're the expert, and I'm I'm curious now. So, what can we do here? Help me. So, I I mean, help my audience. (laughs) Let me give you like a few very concrete things that you can do. um, That some some you may not be surprised by, and some you'll be like, "Huh, that's interesting." Okay, so. I always tell women if you are not sleeping well, you cannot lose weight. It just Mm -hmm. won't happen. So, supporting a good night's sleep on as regular a basis as you can is really important. So, that um, might look different woman to woman. So, if you are having hot flashes at night, night sweats, then your sleep support is going to look different than somebody who might be having anxiety attacks at night. And that's going to look different for somebody who can't fall asleep, and then somebody who's waking up at 3am and is up for the day, that sleep support is going to look a little different. Right. Um, But supporting a good night's sleep is the kind of baseline goal um, is sleeping. Okay. So that's the first thing. So any questions on that part?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it is really difficult when you are going through the throes of it. I don't know if I'm in the middle of menopause, but I know that there was a time with lots of hot flashes in the mm-hmm. middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you wake up and you're disgusting and sweaty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like you have to go get up and change or I do because I just feel gross. And then you try and get yourself to go back to sleep. But obviously, it's going to be disruptive sleep when you're going through that. So, you know, you got the fan blasting on your face, <laughs> and whatever. Why are there so many sim? Symptoms, my God, when you go through the list of different things that menopause
1: wreaks havoc on with
0: hair loss and acne, it's like, what in the world?
1: Do you know what though, Don? And I don't have the answer to this. I just have an observation. This is unique to Western culture. No. Eastern culture does not have the same menopausal experience that Western culture does, nor hunter gatherer cultures. They do not have this really difficult transition that is quote unquote the norm for Western cultures. So that's mind blowing, right? So I don't have the answer to that, but I do. It is a question that keeps me up at night <laughs> yeah no um, as I try to better understand what the why I'm just a naturally nerdy curious person and I want to better understand things um, yeah
0: no that is definitely something to question and I like agree. you said it just because it's quote unquote normal because it's common,
1: doesn't mean that it's normal. Right. I talk about that all the time, that common does not equate to normalcy. Um, And it's very frustrating because the message from a lot of general practitioners and um, classically trained um, OBGYNs is, well, this is normal. This is just your age and your gender combining in this perfect storm. And that's just not true. No. And I get, again... (laughs) I use the word crazed already. I'll I'll use it again though. <laughs> it gets me crazy when I hear that women are being told this by the the medical professionals they trust. It is very common, but it is not normal. Menopause is not a disease state that should be creating symptoms in our bodies. Mm. Okay. Well, that just made a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> I'm I, so I, glad. Okay. <laughs> um, you did bring up hot flashes and the beginning and you just brought up my set. So let me just touch on it quickly in case you, I mean, you're obviously interested and your audience is likely interested. So what most women um, and doctors don't realize is that um, basically we have a thermostat in our brain. So in our brains and our hypothalamus, there is a thermostat and it gets really touchy as we head into and through perimenopause. So what happens is a tiny temperature shift causes our bodies to try to adjust because our hypothalamus, our our thermostat has said, whoa, this is outside of what is acceptable. And so that's why we'll have those sudden sweats. And one of the reasons they happen at night is because again, that window has shrunk of acceptable temperatures and so we go to bed comfortable with our blankets on, but then we shift into that I'm too hot, sensitive place and immediately are drenched in sweat because our body is trying to adjust. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you asked earlier about estrogen and I started talking about insulin, but let me just touch on estrogen here. So it seems the research shows that it's not just like either high or low estrogen that's impacting our thermostat in our brain. It's a fall. So going from high to low estrogen. So the more that in perimenopause, we can have a a more level estrogen level, the more unlikely hot flashes are for us. And then balancing that out, you do that. How, how do you um, balance
0: out your estrogen?
1: So again, it comes back to insulin because that's a master hormone and cortisol. Okay. That's another master hormone. Um, you can obviously impact insulin with bioidentical hormones, um, and again, if that's the, the journey somebody wants to take, just find right. a really knowledgeable practitioner in that specifically. And sometimes that's not the gynecologist you've been going to since you had your babies. Um, I would ask him or her directly, like, is this an area that you feel really Really comfortable, and they usually have had to take additional training for that, and and that's really important, right? Um, but then there's the dietary and lifestyle pieces of really trying to um, keep ourselves insulin sensitive. So let's start with the food piece. Um, so we do not need as midlife women, we do not need as many carbohydrates as we did when we were in our fertile years, when we were really trying to grow human beings um, and lactate for human beings and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, in general, we can cut down our carb intake. We generally also need more protein. Um, and it should be from an animal source. And if you're a vegan and you're listening, you can certainly carry on, but I'm just not the coach for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and so it should be an animal protein source. Um, and then healthy fats are important too. a lot of women are afraid of fat. We grew up with in the low fat, culture fat is bad um as they have better understood nutrition and how food interacts with our bodies we see that fat is not the culprit fat is not the cause of all the problems um and so really dialing into okay what are my carb sources and how many am i eating um in a in a day and looking at trying to keep it depending on your goals um you know, the, the kind of weight loss sweet spot is between um, 50 and 100 grams of carbohydrates per day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the standard American diet is around 225 grams per day. Yeah, people just don't know how to eat. They really don't, and it, it changes for midlife too. You know, yeah. there's like the way to eat when you're trying to like be pregnant and raise children and all that, and then there's the way to eat when you're in midlife. Um, and more and more often, we're actually having those two things meet. Right, women are having their babies later and later, so they'll be you know uh, postpartum and perimenopausal, so their hormones are like really crazy. <laughs> so yeah.
0: So when people um, do that, switch to more, you're, it's basically keto is what you're saying,
1: right? So it's not keto. That's another, okay. I'm so glad you said that. So I do not teach keto. I think keto is really, um, puts the midlife woman's body under too much stress. Too extreme. Um, it's too extreme. Yep. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm what i more interested in, well, I'm as interested, I should say, in not just how many carbs, but the carb sources. Mm-hmm. Carb sources should be fruits, starchy vegetables, legumes, if you can tolerate it. Um, those are your really your your bigger carb sources. If you're getting a lot of carbs from grains, um, even whole grains that could be undermining your goals. Your, mm-hmm. I, I call them your health and hormone goals. Um, so that would be an area to, to explore. Um, I mentioned before, there's a lot of experimenting when it comes to your midlife body and understanding what are the triggers for her and what are the things that, you know, she needs and give her energy and help her sleep well. Um, and so being kind of ch- charting that and tracking that is really important. Um, anytime a client is ready to try something new, There's the actual action of doing it, but there's always the reflection as well. How is this impacting how I feel, my mood, my energy, my sleep, my cravings, and then even physical measures, my waist and hip measurements, that ratio, certainly weight on a scale is a measurement. Um, So... There's really two pieces to making any sort of change. It's the doing of the change and the observing of how does it impact me.
0: So do you think somebody should have like a food diary or just a diary in general, journal, how they're feeling by what they ate and how much activity
1: they've had? Most of my clients choose that at some point. I'm not a big proponent of making clients do it uh, because I think the minute you make somebody do something, they're doing it for you and not for themselves. Um, But when clients do choose that, um, there's so many apps that you can use. You can certainly do good old pen and paper. You can do voice memos to yourself that then you compile later. I mean, um, and it's not forever. It's for when you make a change and really want to assess how it's impacting you. Um, and it could be for one week, it can be for two or three weeks. I am not a big proponent of long-term food journaling. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it isn't a tool I've ever used. And I, so I've never really recommended it as something everyone should do. Okay. So really you're
0: not saying that like, um, whole grain bread and, brown rice and all that stuff is necessarily bad. It's just when you are going through menopause or you're in midlife, your body just doesn't process that stuff the way that it did. And you're better off
1: trying to not have those kinds of things. Right. So grains Deliver an excessive amount of carbohydrates to our bodies, and our bodies at midlife don't handle them very well. They immediately get converted to glucose, and we just can't burn that much glucose at once. So they get stored as fat.
0: Right. That and makes-
1: so rather than giving that to our bodies to, you know, first try to burn and then store, we want to give less of that to our body. So we shift from only using glucose as a fuel source to using fat as a fuel source. Okay. Um, so that's where the whole keto thing comes in because fat becomes ketones. Um, that's an energy source. But again, I find keto to be um, again, undermining to the health and hormone goals w- women tend to have.
0: Right. So we've got sleep and food. I would okay. assume
1: the next would be exercise. So I don't use that word, I use movement. <laughs> I find exercise can be incredibly triggering for some women and not necessarily in the same way. So it also, the word movement um, allows a broader understanding. So I come from an uh, ancestral background, like my training is in um, ancestral health. And if you think about um, what we were like as hunter-gatherers and what current hunter-gatherers are like, they are constantly moving. They're never sitting at a desk like you and I are right now. They are always on the move. Um, And so the first area of movement that I really encourage women to increase is just their low-impact daily movement. And so, as a simple example, if your desk and office space is on the second floor, every time you go downstairs, go up and down one more time, just Mm -hmm. one more. And hopefully, you're getting up enough from your desk that that actually adds up over the course of a day, over the course of a week, over the course of a month. Stairs are also really good, low impact, they don't put a lot of strain on our bodies. Um, and it's just an opportunity. Another thing, if you're, you know, the grocery shopper in your home, well, when you get to the grocery store, park as far away as you can. So that way you're walking a little bit further and you're pushing that cart laden with groceries a little bit further. Right. again, these little tweaks kind of add up over time. We're just, that's step one is just trying to increase our movement. Um, the, Other piece that a lot of women either love or hate is weight training um, or some sort of strength based training. Um, Body weight is fine, you just want to make sure that you're pushing your muscles enough. So, I mentioned earlier about glucose. So, glucose, if it's not used in our blood, it gets stored as fat. Um, Our muscles, though, will take any extra glucose that's in our bloodstream first to store it. Okay. So if you think of your muscle as a glucose sponge, it sponges it up until it's full. And then any extra glucose gets stored as fat. If we squeeze out that muscle glucose sponge and that gets used as energy, it goes away. It doesn't get you know recirculated, it goes away. That sponge needs to fill. So the glucose from our blood goes into the muscle before it goes into the fat tissue.
0: Mm, That's very interesting. I like the way that you put that too,
1: because it made it very visual. I could see that happening. Good, good. So one of the things women don't know is it's not about high reps. It's actually about lifting heavy things. Um, And I say that because if you don't like free weights, like there's other ways to lift heavy things um, in our day to day. So whether that's Deciding that instead of having your staff member move the latest delivery, you're going to move it safely, of course. Um, And instead of using the elevator to bring it upstairs, you're actually going to use the stairs to bring it up. Um, So there's little ways like that to, again, increase that um, opportunity to lift heavy things. Now, if you are interested in weightlifting um, and you've never done it before, I think finding a good trainer who understands midlife women. And often that is not the 20 something year old guy who just got certified and has his first (laughs) job at your gym. Um, So if that's your only option, I mean, work with him, but be very clear that you understand your body best and you know what she needs. Um, And it is to lift heavy things. Now, heavy might start at 10 pounds, but you'd be surprised how quickly you can build those muscles by committing to just twice a week. This does not have to be an everyday thing. Twice a week of regular um, strength training is going to absolutely increase your insulin sensitivity. It's going to get that glucose into those muscles instead of into that fat, going to impact your waistline, going to give you more energy, going to help you sleep better. Hmm. That sounds perfect. (laughs) Well, again, it's getting a little bit more traction, this idea of, you know, midlife women really have to lift weights. Uh, Every now and then a woman will be like, but I don't want to look buff. I'm so sorry to tell you, you will never look buff <laughs> unless that is the only thing you are doing. Bodybuilding women, especially those in midlife, that is their full-time job. They right. are lifting weights as a full-time job. Um, so unless you go that route, you're just going to get some very nice definition that you will like, and you're, you're going to have all these other awesome benefits.
0: Yeah. Um, just as a side topic, I'm just wanting to pick your brain. Sure. Have you, have you seen... Um, the craze lately about people doing the insulin shots, the diabetic shots oh, God, to lose no. weight. No. Oh. Yeah, it's like a thing in Hollywood. Oh. And um it's all over TikTok and so the doctors are prescribing if they have a BMI of a certain number and up, they can qualify to get prescribed these injections. And they give them to themselves, and they start off with a low dose, and then they gradually increase. And these women are just dropping massive amounts of weight. Mm-hmm. People that have struggled with losing weight for a really long time,
1: and they feel like this is their, ah, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I, I did not know that was the thing. And so my my immediate concern is if you're giving your body insulin as if you're diabetic, what the heck is your pancreas making of that? I'm sure your pancreas is like, Oh, I get to take a break. Fabulous. I'm just going to hang out here. I'm not going to make insulin. Then where are you left when, when you stop the shots? Like what you're, you're, gosh, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever from a medical perspective. I'm not a doctor. I do not claim to be one, but Holy moly, that makes me really uncomfortable.
0: Well, that and um, just in reading about it and seeing people talk about it, that people that actually are diabetic, there's a shortage. <gasps> there's so I mean, they're like, it's, it's rampant. And so all these people that are actually diabetic are unable to get their medicine. It's crazy. You know, and I, it, you do always kind of well, I do think of the long term, like, what? Okay, I get it. You know, you just dropped 80 pounds. Yay, you but what? you just do that forever. You just give your or what happens to your kidneys and your pancreas and your, all your body. That just doesn't yeah. seem right. But yeah, no. that, I've
1: just been seeing that all over the place. So I'm like, ah, that seems scary. Well, and again, it's about making money, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and insulin is not cheap. Um, you know, gosh, yeah. I don't want to spend too much longer on this. That is very upsetting. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. So what made you get into ancestral health?
1: So as I was looking at different approaches, um, you know, to the human body, I I remember if I read something or heard something that our genetics are not significantly different from our ancestors from pre-civilization, so call it 10,000 years ago, but our lifestyles are really different. So I felt strongly I needed to understand our ancestral um, genetics. I understand the lifestyle of today, but I really needed to understand more about our ancestors so I can help midlife women leverage their genetic settings, their kind of factory settings, in order to get the results that they want.
0: Hmm. Do you think that that's why people in the Eastern countries, because they probably have stayed close in lifestyle to what they've always been with their traditions and heritage and everything, that that's
1: why they don't get the impact? So my educated guess is that that's a piece of it. Um, I also think that in certain cultures, stress management is much better than it is here. And Uh we know that, you know, something we haven't talked about yet. I know we're running out of time, but the stress management piece is absolutely a large part of the puzzle and figuring out your stress management Um, Because if you're not managing your stress, your cortisol levels are going to be all over the place. Um, And that's another of the master hormone. Well, and sleep
0: and movement both help for cortisol, correct?
1: Absolutely. Um, The sad thing is usually the um, dysregulated cortisol is making it so you can't sleep and then you don't have the energy for the movement. Wow. So it does really all go together. It really does. We are very complex. We cannot be fixed with a pill.
0: Yeah or everybody the same
1: or okay. everybody
0: the same way. Yep. Right. Yep. Oh my gosh, this time just flew. You have so much information. I love it. Oh, um, thanks so Don. First um well wait before I even go there. Um I saw your profile picture.
1: Are you like a dancer? So, um, yes and no, I guess. Um, So I was asked to be part of a fundraiser for my town. It was called Needham Dancing with the Stars. I don't know why I'm a Needham star, other than I think I fit a certain demographic. So I did, (laughs) I think, 12 weeks of uh, weekly lessons and then did a showcase. I came in second, so I did something right. Um, Yeah but I am absolutely a competitor at heart. So I threw myself into that.
0: Oh, it was such a cool picture to see. I'm like, what is that? And I zoomed in and I was like, good for her. That's awesome. Super fun. Okay. Um, so how can people find you um, if they want to seek you out?
1: You can find me at my website, Cathyfritzcoaching.com. That's Kathy with a K. Fritz, like my toilet is on the Fritz <laughs> and coaching. I'm also on Instagram at kathyfritzcoaching.
0: Awesome. And last of all, I wanted you to give your best piece of advice that you've ever
1: gotten. It is you are worthy. Oh, of whatever love- it is, whatever it is you think you want, but maybe you don't deserve you are worthy of it. In my case, it's midlife women that you are worthy of health, of reclaiming your body of understanding that body of knowing how to support her. Um, but in my own life, you know, there's, you know, there's definitely things that I've ha- had wanted, and just thought I wasn't worthy of. And it's never too late. Never too late. Perfect, Kathy. Thank you so
0: much. I appreciate your time. Thank and you, all especially
1: water. being under the weather.
0: Oh, I know. I just didn't want to not do it. I'm like, you know what? No, she can do all the talking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did, Don. I was like, oh,
0: I feel like I talked too much, but no, it was perfect. You're the professional. You're the one that should be talking. So, thank you so much for your time, and I will be in touch. Awesome. Thanks. Thank Dawn. you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.